Hello and welcome to Frontline, bringing you the latest high-tech developments from China and beyond. I'm Baron Zung in Beijing. Coming up on today's show, Sam Duckett will probe into the future relationship between online broadcasting and sports in China. Our reporter Victor Ning will take a look at the newly developed mobile phone app, which could stop emotional eaters caving into their cravings and binging on food. And we will join Sam Duckett and Mark Griffiths for the Wild Web discussion. This week, they'll be talking about the newer version of the internet's core addressing system, IPv6. Now, kicking off today's show, Chinese online broadcasting network Ala TV recently became the sole online broadcaster of the British Premier League in Hong Kong. Questions are now arising as to whether online media is the way forward for professional sports in China. What will the future relationship between online broadcasters and sports be in China? Sam Duckett has the answer. Ali TV recently elbowed out American competitors Netflix and Amazon, in addition to fellow Chinese content distributors such as Wanda and Alibaba, to purchase the broadcasting rights for the British Premier League in Hong Kong for 600 million U.S. dollars. The deal was warmly welcomed by Richard Scudamore, who is the executive chairman of the Premier League. You know how difficult it is for us to physically bring the Premier League here. Of course, we do our pre-season tournaments, and the clubs do their bit. And effectively, we know that if you are going to absorb the Premier League as much as you fans want to absorb the Premier League, then this has to be through digital means. LETV's sporting success has sparked the notion that online broadcasting may be the future for sports in China. Statistics from the research company ZDC show in 2013 that more than 76% of over 900 participants prefer watching online videos as opposed to traditional television. The research shows conclusive results for different age groups. The most popular type of content enjoyed by these participants is news, film, and entertainment. Currently, the two biggest online mediums for watching sports are the Shanghai-based Best TV and Beijing-based LETV. However, the majority of popular sports broadcasted in the Chinese mainland, such as basketball, football, and tennis, are still predominantly broadcasted on traditional television networks. There are a lot of popular foreign sports which are still yet to make a major mark in China, such as the NFL and the MLB. Sports writer for the Jiafan Daily newspaper in Shanghai, Joyce Chin, talks about some of the compromises the NBA had to make in a much less digital world. 我自己的观点，我甚至都觉得网络平台有可能对于一个。I personally think that an online platform will cause a revolutionary change in the sports industry. A good example of this was in 1989 when the CEO of the NBA, David Stern, wanted to bring the NBA to China. He had a very tough time describing the NBA to the national Chinese broadcasting station, and even offered the broadcasting rights for some games for free. To further promote the NBA in China, he offered Chinese journalists the opportunity to cover the celebrity games in the U.S. If we look at the NBA today, it is now broadcasted on many different platforms and has a wide fan base in China. So, if the same events happen today, David Stern would have lots of different options provided by online platforms. She goes on to say how the NFL Super Bowl is broadcasted on Shanghai's sports broadcasting network. But while audiences can appreciate the importance of the contest, they still do not fully understand the sport. 
This is largely due to a lack of regular coverage. China's digital network would potentially present foreign sports organizations with a golden opportunity to crack one of the world's biggest markets. If an organization like the NFL or the MLB wants to strike a discount deal with a Chinese online content distributor, they could potentially create a perfect win-win situation. The distribution company would be able to access loads of new content and advertising potential, and the sports organization would open up a market of 1.3 billion people to distribute their merchandise to. With such huge potential, the question poses as to whether the entire Chinese market is ready for the transition to online media. Wang Daqian is a financial correspondent for the Yangtze Daily in Wuhan. He offered his views on second-tier markets in China and their willingness to consume such media. Actually, I think this is a process because traditional television has dominated the market. People are now at the stage of accepting the idea of watching videos online, but people are still not accustomed to paying for online content, which is going to affect them in the short term. As the industry develops in the future, I think people will be willing to pay for online media. For online sports to really take off in China, it is going to take a long period of time and cooperation between China and sporting organizations. For online broadcasters just to test new types of sports on the Chinese market, they would be undertaking a big risk. And the process still starts with companies like LETV, who are seizing already popular sports leagues which have a fan base in China. Through doing this, they demonstrate the advantages of online broadcasting, such as a highly concentrated delivery network, high-quality streaming, information, and e-commerce opportunities. In the long run, the success of online sports broadcasting and as consumers raise their consumption quality standards, the market will open up for new sports to enter China. The internet, after all, is an information portal, which is the key feature that will help open up China to a modern age of new sports. Frontline, bringing you the leading edge in technology. Microsoft is doubling down on its Surface devices business, having unveiled a new laptop alongside an updated tablet. Even as Microsoft has positioned the Surface as a laptop replacement, it's making a separate Surface laptop model, the Surface Book. Microsoft says it's for scientists, engineers, and gamers who need a lot more performance than a tablet. The laptop starts at $1,500 U.S. dollars, compared with $900 for the new Surface Pro 4 tablet. And while the Surface Book is called a laptop, the screen is detachable so that it can effectively become a tablet. The company has touted its clipboard-like functions for people on the go. The Surface Pro 4 tablet is faster and thinner than before, yet it comes with a slightly larger screen at 12.3 inches. The transwheel delivery drone will never get off the ground, and that's just how Israeli inventor Kobe Shakar designed it. As the former student at the Shankar College of Engineering and Designs explains, it's a robotic autonomous wheel that is directed by GPS and has photography systems and facial recognition, with the purpose of transporting packages ranging from postal parcels to larger packages. The motorized delivery unicycle, which holds packages on its head with two robotic arms, it will then hand them over to its recipients by identifying them from social media sites. 
Onboard cameras will help it avoid obstacles and negotiate traffic, while staying earthbound should avoid the dangers of enroaching on commercial airspace. Now the Transmule just needs investor to take it from a concept to reality on Israel's roads. A mobile phone app that has been developed to stop emotional eaters caving in to their cravings and binging on food. It's the idea of an eating disorders doctor who wanted to ensure his patients were supported when they weren't able to access one-to-one psychotherapy. Let's go to Victor Ning for the details. Emotional eaters are people who eat not because they're hungry or because their bodies need fuel. They eat to try and escape depression, loneliness, fear, anxiety, anger, and numerous other emotions they are desperate to leave behind. One emotion often triggers another, which increases the desire for certain foods that provide brief comfort. Food can't offer them a solution, so their problems return with even greater intensity. What this phone app is doing is interrupting the headlong rush towards eating, with a series of easily answered short questions that draw you out of the fixation. Effectively, it's trying to switch on our problem-solving capacity. This is by no means the first software project aimed at people struggling with an eating disorder, but its developer, psychiatrist Roger Gold, says it is more detailed and personalized than others that have preceded it. You start thinking in a different way, and you interrupt the automatic emotional response and bring into play what we call the problem-solving mind. It's all too easy to grab a bite when things get tough, with every corner of every busy city having fast food stalls to tempt people passing by. Gold says the phone app takes the wisdom of therapy, asking short, pertinent questions such as. What has prompted you to want to eat at this moment, and why do you want to lose weight? What happens is that people eat or get in the habit of using food to shut off their mind because they don't want to think about something. Oftentimes, they don't want to think about something because it's painful, or the feelings are strong, or it reminds them of something. With the phone app. What follows is a selection of multiple choice responses that a user can tap to answer. The choice of answer then leads you along several paths that aim to find your current state of mind, what caused your current state of mind, and whether you can address the problem without binging. Everyone has different fears, hopes, and desires, but Gold argues his program is detailed enough to allow each person to find a route that is personal enough to be pertinent to them. The aim is to make us analyze why we want to go down a particular path, and that way we stop thinking emotionally and start thinking rationally. You have an emotional part of your mind that reacts immediately and intensely with strong feelings. You have a rational part of your mind in which you can sort out those feelings and figure out what's real, and then you can figure out what to do. So this is a program that actually helps the person gain confidence. And their problem-solving mind, and become less fearful of their emotional mind. Gold's former patient Leslie Lewis says the program worked for her. It asks very basic questions, like the first one I think is, "Where are you right now?" Which is a great question because it kind of ground it grounded me into, "Okay, where am I actually right now?" And then, "What is it? That's, what's going on? What do you want to do? I want to eat an extra meal. I want to." 
snack on something I don't feel like I should. I want to abandon any diet that I'm trying to adhere to. And that was the thing, the answer that I would most often press. Like, forget my diet. And uh, that was how I could tell that something was going on. So it would ask these questions that are very basic. A Taiwanese research team has invented a five times faster 3D printer, but without losing any quality compared to other printers on the market. The bottom exposure light cure 3D printer was developed by Taipei University of Technology. It claims it requires just 10 minutes to manufacture structures one centimeter high and three minutes for every layer of structure printed. The printer uses resin to manufacture the designs used. Which takes just 0.8 seconds to solidify. A Japanese company unveils a device that will let you know ahead of time when you will need to go to the toilet. Japanese company Triple W Japan has invented D-Free, a device that fits on your underwear and tracks your bowel movements. The company says the device will come in handy for people who suffer from fecal incontinence or those that just need more time to find a bathroom. As Rohei Ochiai of the Triple W Japan Solution Development explains, this device predicts fecal excretion. The device goes on your stomach and uses ultrasonic waves to monitor your internal organs and sends the data to smartphones to be displayed. However, the company is still working on alternative methods to secure the device to underwear because many people are concerned that it may chafe their skin. A 3D scanner to help you buy lingerie is just one of the high-tech products bringing fashion and technology together in Israel. The event aims to illustrate how the new startup companies can change the way people consume fashion. Let's go to Joe He Yang for the details. Models sport the latest fashions and the latest technology on the catwalk in Tel Aviv. It's part of the Tel Aviv Innovation Festival that brings startup technology companies together with the fashion industry. Thousands of people are here for the event, which includes demonstrations of wearable gadgets. The organizer of fashion tech, Saeed Yael Kochman, says the aim is to bring together the two different worlds of fashion and technology to show how they can work together. The special thing、uh, in this event is basically bringing together two worlds that are completely different: fashion and technology. Think about, you know,、uh, a geek going to a fashion store; it doesn't add up, right? But those startups really prove that with technology, you can change the way that people consume fashion, whether it's online or in store in real life. You can also do an omni-channel experience and combine the online and the offline together. And those startups really take it to the next level. One of the new startup companies is Trendy Guru. The company produces an app that allows people to buy similar items of clothing to those they see in images when they're browsing. One click, and the shopper can buy an outfit similar to the one a celebrity is pictured wearing. Kyle Giddens is the CEO of Trendy Guru. Trendy Guru is the future of shopping online. We allow you to purchase similar items of clothing from pictures while you're browsing. We work with publishers all over the world and allow them to monetize their content. Now, when you go to People or Huffington Post and you see a picture of Kim Kardashian, you can click on her dress and buy something similar. 
We like to say, see it, click it, buy it. Israeli fashion blogger Bar Timor says she is seeing an increase in cooperation between the fashion and technology industries. I think it's amazing. I think that finally,、um, perhaps we're making the good connection between the high tech and fashion, which is like an international interest. So finally, something is coming up together. Maybe it's just the beginning. Fashion tech is part of the Digital Life Design Conference at the Innovation Festival. Three thousand overseas visitors have traveled to Israel to join the event. Coming up next, we will have the Wild Web with Sam Duckett and Mark Griffiths, and they are going to be talking about the newer version of the Internet's core addressing system, IPv6. The Wild Web. Discovering new territories in technology. Now it's time for the wild web. Here's Sam Duckett. Got a really interesting story this week, Mark, and I think it's one you know quite a bit about.、Uh, the old net addresses run are running out in the United States, in Canada, where they already have run out.、Uh, the older net, net addresses, which were previously used, are called IPv4, and they were created in the 1970s. And the best way to think of it is a bank of web addresses, and that bank was about 4.3 billion addresses large. And it's been filled up, and、yeah. now there's a new bank called IPv6, which apparently, in theory, can never run out. It came into play in 1999, but big companies have stuck with I with the old bank of web of net addresses, and now they're going to all have, and all these new companies now are going to have to start changing because IPv4 is done. It's filled. It's it's packed. Yeah, but no one's going to really notice any difference, and、uh, except for the people that run、um, uh, that rent out a、uh, web space and run the domain. Domain name server system and so forth. Yeah, we should make that very clear right now that it doesn't matter if you're getting a IPv4 or an IPv6 web address. If you're a company,、mm. it's still going to be www. Yeah, and then webaddressname. com or dot whatever. Yeah, you buy your domain name, and there'll be no difference. The way that I like to think of this, and I don't like analogies. I don't think they're useful actually. In most cases, they kind of give people the wrong impression. But this is quite hard to get your head around this IPv4 and six. But I mean, I always think of it as like being like when there was just one telephone number in the world, you know,、uh, which wouldn't be a, a whole lot of use, would it? But anyway,、no. so if you add a zero on the end, then you've got ten phone numbers. But when that when the ten phone numbers are gone, well. Then you add another zero. You've got a hundred, and that's essentially the same thing as this, because the、uh, the IPv4 system can support up to 4.3 billion addresses. But the thing is, though, you think, well, that's enough, surely? But of course not, because you know there's more than that number of people in the world that might want to have a, a website. So what they've essentially done is stuck a zero on the end of the telephone number, and、um, therefore. There's what they say. The reason why they say it might never run out is because they can't imagine that everyone in the world is going to want to have, say, you know, ten or a hundred websites each. So yes, it should it should last until the population of the Earth is, you know, who knows, two hundred billion, which is is never going to happen. The the other big takeaway from this is the fact that the four hundred four point three billion addresses has, has already has it's already been exceeded it's been filled, so you it does pose the question mark do we think that there's just too much rubbish on the internet there are just net addresses there that may not need to be there I mean 
I don't know about you, but I have not looked at a billion web pages in my life. Well, occasionally you do come across these old angelfire.com websites, uh, if you remember, um, where people could uh, use an, a company's web space to set up their very first website. Some of those are still on there. Very few people probably still use those services now, uh, not as many as before anyway. If you remember back to like 10, even yeah, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, definitely, if you think back to what the internet looked like then, there were so many uh, websites, it just said under construction. You don't see that anymore because people get straight down to business and they put on their, uh, their website straight away. And if you go back another five years, 20 years ago, there weren't even domain names. The internet was just like numbers in the, in the uh, browser search bar you've just got a whole series of numbers with no names so the thing is progressing and increasing and hopefully the ipv6 will keep us going potentially theoretically for hundreds of years yeah well the other thing about this as well that we should also remember is ipv6 is quite a bit more costly than ipv4 i don't have the exact prices in front of me but i do know it costs a fair bit more so if you are set on getting an ipv4 address Africa still has about 2.3 million left, but they are running out quickly. Uh, analysis have said they think they're going to be gone by the year 2019, which oh, actually isn't as quick as I thought. 2019 is quite a long time. It's quite a four, long way away. Four years away, isn't it? But then again, it's not, it's not that long a time, and they are going to run out, so if you want to get one, you have to hurry. Do we think this is going to have a huge problem in commerce? Because you're going to have rising costs of net addresses. It's extra money that companies are going to have to pay to put their content online. People need to be very careful when buying a domain name to put their website on, because there are an awful lot of companies out there that will take advantage of the lack of knowledge and charge you a thousand yuan or, or you know, $150 for something that you can get elsewhere for maybe $10 a year. I mean, it works on an annual registration system. And so, I mean, my, my domain's from a very cheap German supplier. I think it cost me something like um, £6 a year, which is something like, what, €10 Euros a year or something. Works fine. But similarly, you know, other people could buy the very same thing with the same domain suffix and be charged over... $150. So do be very, very careful and do shop around when buying domain names. It's just like buying any other product. You want to get the best value for money. And I think with the increased competition we're about to see in the United States, I don't know if that's going to be the best place to shop around. I definitely would suggest that all of our listeners take Mark Griffith's advice and start looking at other countries like Germany, which sound like they are giving you a lot of bang for your buck. Well, the, the, the other thing is that when it comes to the actual suffixes, you know, we, we're well past the .com, .net, .org era, the .cn, the, the, the national uh, domain ones and the what they call the, the GTLDs, the global top-level domains like .com. We're well past that. Now there's a whole range of other ones out there as well, like things like um, .expert or uh, .shop um, and .this, .that, .london is one. There's .berlin. I've always thought the general public should just all use .sam. It's three characters, S-A-M, on the end of every website. Wouldn't that sound great? It would. There's even, you know, there's even a dot. Wang. So I think that, you know, I'm surprised that um, some of members of our staff, our colleagues, haven't snapped up, you know, their own first name and then dot Wang. Anyway, um, perhaps they have. That's all we have time for for this edition of the Wild Web. And that actually brings us to the end of this edition of Frontline. We hope you enjoyed it and see you next week. <laughs>